Hello, and welcome to the story of Rhode Island, the podcast that tells you the story of Rhode Island's fascinating history. For episode one, we'll be discussing the founder of Rhode Island, Roger Williams. But as we take our first look at Williams, he's still years away from founding Rhode Island. It's January of 1631, and Williams is a young, radical minister traveling aboard a ship named the Lion. Surrounding Williams are hundreds of Puritans who are fleeing England for the Puritan colony in America, known as the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Their already dangerous journey is made even more horrifying by the winter weather. Monstrous waves, nonstop winds, and icy rain are a daily occurrence. But the people in the Lion had no choice. They simply had to flee England. The religious persecution Williams and the Puritans dealt with in England was growing more dire every day, and it was only a matter of time before they ended up in jail. Although the Puritans' journey across the Atlantic is horrifying, they all have one thing on their mind to keep them hopeful. America. Because America means freedom. The freedom to worship God in a way that aligns with their Puritan beliefs. However, Roger Williams has a very different idea of freedom, one that is far more radical. Williams doesn't just want religious freedom for Puritans, but for everybody. He believes that everyone should be given the freedom to worship God however they please, even if it differs from what the Puritans believe. But Williams knows that the leaders of the Puritan movement, people he's grown extremely close to over the past several years, will consider his belief in religious freedom not only insane, but a threat to their colony. Therefore, Williams has kept his radical belief a secret for now, but that's about to change. When he arrives in America, he'll share his radical concept of religious freedom, and a battle of ideas will ensue between himself and the Puritan leaders in Massachusetts. A battle that will change his life forever. The story of Roger Williams first voicing his radical ideals is what we'll cover in episode one, the story of Rhode Island podcast. As the winds continue to howl with a devilish cry, the line is relentlessly tossed around the rough Atlantic Ocean. It's almost as if Mother Nature and the devil have decided to team up and toy with the Puritans on board. Then, a monstrous wave slams against the side of the line. Icy Atlantic waters splash onto the ship's upper deck, drenching the crew that attempt to keep the line upright. As the frigid waters seep through the floorboards of the ship, they eventually land on the head of Roger Williams sitting below. Williams attempts to dry his head, but as soon as he does, another wave hits the lion, making him even colder than he was a minute ago. He shakes his head in disbelief, struggling to understand how he ended up in such a dire situation. Unfortunately for the young radical minister, it was simply unlucky timing. Right around the time he became a well-known Puritan chaplain, England's king, King Charles I, began jailing Puritan ministers throughout England. If Williams had not made the decision to leave for Massachusetts, then he would have almost certainly ended up in jail. Joining Williams on his journey to America is his wife, Mary. The couple has only been married for a little over a year now, and both are still young. Williams being 28, and Mary just 22. They don't have any children yet, so they've been praying that God will bless them with kids in the near future. But that's a prayer for another day. Because for today, they just hope that God will allow them to make it to Massachusetts safely. Waiting for the line in Massachusetts are hundreds of other Puritans led by their governor, John Winthrop. Perhaps nobody in the world is more committed to the Puritan movement than Winthrop. 
He's emphatically claimed that Massachusetts will become a, quote, city upon a hill, unquote, a colony that perfectly exemplifies what it means to be a true Christian nation. To ensure this happens, he believes that the religious practices of their citizens must be tightly controlled. Everyone must be forced to adhere to the Puritans' beliefs. But when Roger Williams arrives in Massachusetts, he'll challenge the very type of religious control Winthrop plans on implementing. Instead, Williams will advocate for complete religious freedom. Such an idea will infuriate the Puritan leaders of Massachusetts. They'll be shocked to find out that one of their most promising ministers harbors such radical ideas. In 17th century Western civilization, the idea of religious freedom is considered completely absurd. No nation would dare give their people such a degree of freedom. They are confident it would only lead to sin and chaos. As Williams sits on the line, he's bothered by the inevitable conflict that is bound to ensue. He knows that once he begins fighting for religious freedom, the leaders in Massachusetts will think he's threatening to destroy their ideal Christian society. And the people he once considered his closest friends will quickly become his biggest enemy. Although brave, Williams can't help but wonder if he's strong enough to endure the battle that's ahead of him. Well, soon enough, Williams will have his answer. Because in just a couple of weeks, the line will arrive in America, and his fight for religious freedom will begin. In early February of 1631, Roger Williams' treacherous journey across the Atlantic Ocean comes to an end. As the line approaches Boston, Massachusetts, all the Puritans collectively let out a sigh of relief. That is, all of them except for Roger Williams. Williams' body is flooded with an odd mixture of emotions. While he's never felt more committed to his radical ideals, he's also nervous about the conflict that's headed his way. When Williams steps off of the line, he begins taking his first steps in the newly built town of Boston. It was just a few months ago when John Winthrop decided to leave the town of Newtown, or what we know today as Cambridge, and build the town of Boston on the Shawmut Peninsula. Williams quickly realizes that Boston is still experiencing the typical growing pains that all newly built settlements will face. He sees a starving population that's desperately awaiting the 200 tons of food that are sitting aboard the line. Boston's public food stores have run out, and many have resorted to eating acorns and nuts just to avoid starvation. The starving people of Boston flock to the line as food supplies like butter, cheese, and oatmeal are carried off of the ship. But he's even more shocked when he realizes that instead of houses, many people are living in wigwams and tents, desperately doing everything they can to stay warm. While observing his new home, Williams hears somebody call out to him. Mr. Williams, a welcoming voice calls out. Glad to have you with us in Massachusetts. As Williams turns around, he realizes that the man calling out to him is John Winthrop, the governor of Massachusetts. Winthrop approaches swiftly as he's excited to greet Roger Williams into his colony. The governor considers Williams to be a godly minister and plans to make him an integral part of their new colony. As the two men chat, Winthrop has a smile on his face throughout the entire conversation. Williams manages to force a smile as well, but behind his smile lies the thought of the conflict that will soon occur between himself and the man he is speaking to. Winthrop then tells Williams about the challenges they've experienced throughout the winter, and how he's seen 11 of his own servants die from the conditions. But since he now has the extra space, he tells Williams and his wife that they can stay with him while they get situated in Boston. Williams reluctantly accepts the offer, and his time in Massachusetts begins. Over the next couple of months, Roger Williams begins voicing his radical ideas to the leaders in Massachusetts. 
It starts when he tells them that he's taken his Puritan beliefs to new lengths and is now a separatist. The separatists, like the Puritans, also believe that the Church of England needs to be purified of Catholicism. But unlike the Puritans, they have given up on the Church of England and no longer consider it to be a true Christian church. John Winthrop and the Puritan leaders are shocked to hear about William's separatist beliefs, but they quickly find out that Williams has even more radical ideas that he's kept hidden inside of him. A few weeks later, Williams then begins advocating for religious freedom when he finds out that the leaders of Massachusetts plan on punishing people who do not abide by the Ten Commandments. Roger Williams tells the leaders of Massachusetts that the state has no right to do such a thing because the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with an individual's personal relationship with God. Williams claims that everyone should be given the freedom to have whatever type of relationship with God that they wish, even if it differs from what the Puritans believe. Such a statement is deeply despised by the Puritans. They not only consider it absurd, but a threat to their goal of creating an ideal Christian society. Immediately after Williams shares his views, the leaders of Massachusetts meet to strategize on how they should deal with Williams' push for religious freedom. Their discussion takes place in the spring of 1631. It's late at night, and John Winthrop is tired. He's tired of dealing with the challenges of building a new colony. He's tired of Roger Williams advocating for religious freedom, and he certainly had enough of the conversation taking place in front of him. The Puritan leaders in Massachusetts have been shouting at each other for hours now, trying to agree on how they should respond to Roger Williams' push for religious freedom. The loudest man in the room by far is Thomas Dudley, a man with a rich military history. The more Dudley speaks, the louder his voice becomes, making Winthrop increasingly annoyed. Dudley and Winthrop have had their fair share of disagreements while in Massachusetts. Dudley's had a grudge with Winthrop ever since Winthrop decided to move out of Newtown and build the town of Boston on the Shawmut Peninsula. When Winthrop moved to Boston, the other leaders of Massachusetts left Dudley behind in Newtown, and since then, Dudley's watched Boston become the unofficial capital of Massachusetts. But in reality, there's a deeper reason for their feud, something that speaks more to their difference in personality. When it comes to ensuring everyone in Massachusetts conforms to their Puritan beliefs, Dudley prefers strict discipline, whereas Winthrop prefers a more lenient approach. Because of this, the argument taking place on the spring night has primarily been centered around Dudley aggressively asserting why Williams must be harshly dealt with, while Winthrop rationally advocates for a more cautious approach. Suddenly, the men grow completely silent and listen closely as they hear a faint howl of a wolf outside. The wolves of New England have proven to be quite a nuisance to the Puritans and have been terrorizing their livestock ever since they first arrived in America. Winthrop himself refuses to travel without a gun at night just in case he encounters one of the beasts. When the wolf's howl eventually fades into the distance, the men agree that it's about time to head home. To Dudley's disappointment, the men decide to take Winthrop's guidance and hold off on taking any immediate action against Williams for the time being. Williams is still without an official position at any of the churches in Massachusetts, so he doesn't really have the means to convince others to accept his absurd idea of religious freedom. Therefore, there's no immediate need to cause any commotion in their society, and for now, it will suffice to just keep a close eye on Williams. When the discussion finally comes to an end, the leaders of Massachusetts slowly begin departing out of the Boston Meeting House and see that the town has grown completely silent. As Winthrop travels home, 
he once again hears a sound of wolves howling in the distance. But tonight, it seems like there are more of them than usual. He wonders if the wolves are a bad omen for the future battles he'll eventually face with Roger Williams. For the remainder of his journey home, Winthrop prays that Williams will simply give up his fight for religious freedom. Unfortunately for Winthrop, that couldn't be further from the truth. Shortly after that discussion, the leaders of Massachusetts receive some troubling news. Winthrop is informed that Roger Williams is on his way to Salem, as he has just been offered to be the teacher of the Salem Church. The leaders of Massachusetts know that this position will give Roger Williams the opportunity to sway people towards his radical ways. At this point, the magistrates in Massachusetts all agree that something has to be done, so they decide to step in and begin persuading the Salem Church to revoke their offer to Williams. The Salem Church, having no desire to challenge the most powerful men in Massachusetts, give in and revoke their offer. When Williams hears about what the state of Massachusetts has done, he's furious. To him, this only further proves his point as to why the church must be protected from the intrusion of the state. But at the same time, he knows that as long as the magistrates in Massachusetts are keeping a close eye on him, that he'll never be able to obtain the support he needs to see his belief in religious freedom actually implemented. Therefore, Williams and his wife decide to pack up their belongings and move south to the separatist community named Plymouth, where Roger Williams will continue to fight for religious freedom. Massachusetts has managed to solve the Roger Williams problem for now, but it won't stay that way for long. While in Plymouth, Roger Williams will not only continue advocating for religious freedom, but will also develop another radical view that will shake up Puritan society in New England. And soon enough, Massachusetts will realize that their challenges with Roger Williams are far from over. When Roger Williams arrives in Plymouth Colony in 1631, he's happy to see that Plymouth has already pushed through the growing pains that Massachusetts is still experiencing. Plymouth Colony was founded back in the winter of 1620 and has established a strong foothold in the New World. While in Plymouth, Roger Williams is an unpaid pastor, and although people certainly enjoy his sermons, he still needs to make a living. To do this, Williams begins trading with the tribes of southern New England, primarily the Poconocet and the Narragansett tribes, two of the strongest tribes in southern New England. Over time, he demonstrates that he's an open-minded individual who is genuinely interested in their way of life, so he develops a strong friendship with the Sachems, or the leaders, of the Poconocet and the Narragansett tribes. The Poconocets are led by their Sachem, Osimiquin. Although the Poconocets were decimated by the epidemic that ravaged the tribes of New England from 1616 to 1619, they've since watched their influence grow after allying themselves with Plymouth Colony in 1621. The tribe rules over numerous sub-tribes, and their territory includes most of present-day eastern Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts. However, the other tribe William trades with, the Narragansett tribe, is even stronger than the Poconocets, as they are the strongest tribe in all of southern New England. The Narragansetts have watched their power rise after avoiding the 1616 epidemic and becoming one of the sole producers of wampum, a form of currency in New England at the time. The size of their population alone speaks to their strength. In 1630, the entire English population in New England was at most 2,500 people, whereas the population of the Narragansett nation is up to 25,000 people. It's even rumored that they can field up to 2,000 warriors. The Narragansett tribe is also made up by a confederation of tribes, 
and they're led by their head sachems, Canonicus and his nephew, Miantinomi. Their land encompasses most of present-day Rhode Island that lies to the west of Narragansett Bay, along with the islands inside of the bay. While Roger Williams is living in Plymouth, the Narragansett and Poconocet tribes are bitter rivals. But in a few decades, they will put their differences aside and wage a war against the English colonies in New England. The war will have the highest death rate in American history and destroy towns like Providence, Wickford, and others throughout New England. But we'll cover that story later on in Season 1. While trading with the Narragansetts and the Poconocets, Roger Williams makes a troubling discovery and realizes that the English do not fully understand how the natives use the land. This discovery will lead him to attack the legitimacy of the English land grants and once again put him at odds with the Puritan leaders in America. Williams makes this discovery while visiting the Poconocet on a summer day in 1632. As Roger Williams travels southwest down the Taunton River, he pulls hard on his paddle and his canoe moves swiftly through the water. On this summer day, he's traveling to Soams, a large area of land that is home to the Poconocet tribe. Today, the land of Soams is made up of East Providence, Barrington, Warren, and Bristol, Rhode Island, along with Seekonk, Rehoboth, and Swansea, Massachusetts. Over the past year or so, Williams has made numerous trips to this area, so his body has grown strong from his journeys. After traveling for a while, Williams eventually begins seeing open patches of land that have been cleared out of the forest by the Poconocet tribe. Williams has noticed other tribes clearing land as well, and has always wondered why the natives choose to conduct such an activity. What benefit could this possibly bring them, he thinks to himself. But his pondering is interrupted, and his vision redirected forward when the Taunton River opens up into a body of water that we know today as Mount Hope Bay. In front of him, he sees a piece of land sticking out into the bay, and on that land is a hill, known to the Poconocets as Potumtuck, but what is now referred to as Mount Hope. As Williams passes Potumtuck, he hears members of the Poconocet tribe fishing along the Kikamuet River to the north. Williams knows that he's close, so he grips his paddle tightly and begins paddling towards them. As he approaches the beaches of the Kikamuet, Men, women, and children of the Poconocet tribe come out to greet them back to their land. They are standing at their summer encampment, which is located in present-day Bristol, Rhode Island, just north of Narrows Road. Williams parks his canoe on the sand and is led to their sachem, Osamequin. After a short trip through the woods, Williams reaches the Poconocet's village and is greeted warmly by Osamequin, who's sitting comfortably in his wigwam. The two begin discussing Williams' journey down the Taunton River. As they talk, the sachem sits calmly while playing with the wampum beads wrapped around his neck. Williams smiles as he's happy to see his friend again and proudly tells Osamequin how his numerous trips throughout New England have made him strong. Williams even attempts to speak Algonquin, the language used by the tribes in New England. Osamequin chuckles to himself as Williams struggles to pronounce the words. Eventually, Roger Williams thinks about the cleared land he saw on his journey and asks Osamequin why the Poconocets, and other tribes as well, choose to clear the land. The sachem tells Williams that the natives throughout southern New England clear the land by burning the trees in underbrush because it helps with planting and hunting activities. Burning the land makes the soil more fertile for growing, and it also makes it easier for their men to hunt. When Osamequin finishes his explanation, Williams sits there with a bewildered look on his face. He's shocked by this discovery, because the monarchy of England has assumed that since there are no villages on these cleared lands, that they are vacant, so they've been handing out grants for these lands. 
However, William's new discovery shows that some of this land, land that some of Massachusetts is built on, is actually being used by the natives. This means that the English have stolen the natives' land, making some of their land grants invalid. Osamequin eventually realizes that Williams is distracted, so he asks what's wrong. Williams, hesitant to discuss the issue with his friend just yet, tells him that he's tired and he just needs some sleep. The sachem tells Williams that he can sleep in one of the wigwams for the night, and the two men depart for bed. As Williams lies awake in the wigwam, he knows that he has to tell the Puritans about their error, but he also knows that the Puritans will despise such a claim. The Puritan leaders in New England consider the natives nothing better than heathen savages. When they arrived in the New World and saw that disease had wiped out many of the New England tribes, they considered it a gift from God a sign that he was clearing the land to make way for their new colony. But Williams knows he must do what's right, no matter what the consequences. And soon enough, Williams will return to Massachusetts and not only reignite his fight for religious freedom, but also begin fighting for the rights of the natives as well. When support for Williams' arguments grow, the Puritans will realize that they have a real problem on their hands, and a showdown will take place between Williams and the Orthodox leaders in Massachusetts a showdown that will change Roger Williams' life forever. But that's a story for next time on episode two of the Story of Rhode Island podcast. Thank you for listening to the Story of Rhode Island. If you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to leave a review and to follow the podcast as well. If you'd like to learn more about today's episode and others as well, you can visit storyofrhodeisland.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Story of Rhode Island or on Facebook at the Story of Rhode Island Podcast. Thank you again and see you next time.